my expectation is that in 20 years, the bulk of global energy will be supplied by solar. Welcome to Science Town, a podcast about the most unique research community on the planet. With every episode, we will bring you cutting edge tech, science, and startup culture through the eyes of pioneering men and women. Their journeys cross disciplines and cross borders in the pursuit of world-changing science. Hello, my name is Nicholas DeMille. Welcome to episode two of Science Town. Solar energy has been around for ages, but it only accounts for a small fraction of the energy mix. So where is this bright solar future we've all been hearing about? In this episode, we speak to the scientists turning skyscrapers into solar power plants. We explore fresh water production with a side of solar power, and we dive into what the future of energy might well look like. Well, as you know, solar is the most rapidly deployed source of energy now globally. I didn't know that. Yeah, I mean, it's taken over from fossil fuels as... In, 19, in terms two, of new power plants. Basically. In terms of new installations, mm. there are more solar plants uh, being installed now globally than any other so- source of energy, which is really exciting for us. I mean, you would never have imagined that 10 years ago. Right. Uh, with the cost of a solar panel, they've really come down so dramatically mm-hmm. to the point where they are, without subsidies, competitive with any other energy source. I mean, that's it's quite amazing. That's Ian McCullough. He's a highly cited researcher, director of the Kaus Solar Centre, and a professor of polymer materials at Imperial College London. And we're bumping up now against efficiency limits. So the, the panel efficiencies are that we can achieve. I mean, there's room for improvement still in uh, mass manufactured panels, but in the, in the lab, we're getting close now uh, within 2%, more or less, of the limit that you can achieve in these systems. So we're really squeezing that out. Okay. So the question then would be, well, why bother with research if we're already at the limits? Uh, which is a, a valid question to right. ask. So there, there are limits within this, what we call a single cell. Within a single shot of a material to absorb light, mm-hmm. it can generate electricity and give you a certain theoretical limit. But when you combine different materials then you can cumulatively add to that theoretical limit. The complexity of integrating materials together, additional process step lead to increased costs, for example. So there are reasons why that might not be so attractive commercially. Yeah. But overall, um, when you look at the balance of costs, mm. it does make uh, sense to focus on improving the efficiency of conversion from light to electricity rather than bring the cost of a module down by X percent. Um, because the cost of your module or the cost of the materials and the devices mm-hmm. kind of gets diluted when you think about um, putting it on a roof. So as an academic professor in my research group, I might say, well, all I want to do is prove that an idea that I've had or somebody in my group has had, is it right or is it wrong? And how does that help us understand fundamental aspects of solar energy conversion, for example? But in the centre, 
we want to translate that knowledge into impact. So we want to go beyond proving concepts mm -hmm. into something that can advance technology, where we can take technology from the lab and put it to use, right. as it were. So, you know, taking it and, and bringing it downstream. as you know um, it's very dependent on time of day and so that that transient nature presents challenges of course that can be mitigated by energy storage right and there are all kinds of low and high-tech options for storage of energy from a Saudi perspective you know if they want to it's much more difficult probably to export electricity than right. it would be to export a product that you can somehow create from a process involving solar. So this is like a solar fuel. So solar fuels exactly. Yeah. So and then the simplest solar fuel, uh, of course, is water splitting. Okay. Um, so the creation of hydrogen. Right. And th th there are there are certain challenges, of course, with hydrogen, um, in terms of energy density for one, storage, etc. But there, there's no doubt that the deployment of hydrogen as an energy storage option I think is very attractive. It may not be the answer for every type, particularly maybe in heavy transport, Yeah. but there will be lots of, th lots of, of, of low-lying applications for hydrogen as an energy source. Right. And I think, I think that's also, it's very clean energy as well. Um, so the... Yeah, because the result is water. Yeah. So Essentially. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's all it is, exactly. <laughs> but you, you shine light on a material and it gets excited mm -hmm. uh, and it's how that excited material relaxes it can relax and produce electricity mm -hmm. or it can undergo chemistry the solar fuel is as a result of these excited materials undergoing chemistry if you're applying solar panels right. of some kind to windows that's a very local solution um what's the ideal mix i guess in a way well, if I there is one i think you've <laughs> maybe answered the question i think it will be a mix and, and that's also the great thing, if you think about it, about solar. Mm -hmm. So you can have um, a solar device that can power a calculator, can power a watch. Right. And everything on a scale from a centimetre up to hundreds of metres, from the milliwatt to megawatt right. range, there's no other technology that can do that. Right. You can't put a, a wind... <laughs> A wind-powered uh, right. or, or yeah, start or, your yeah, watch. you can, or a small <laughs> nuclear reactor in, in your car. Right. I mean, solar has the this the scope and the scale mm -hmm. from the very small to the very large and everything in between, and that gives it the flexibility mm -hmm. um, to be able to adapt to customized and unique environments. Yeah, very simply on on your roof, you can feed straight into the grid. Yeah. Um, but, you know, remotely in a tent, you can heat um, a stove or what you have to do. I mean, it's small to large. And I think that's one of the very attractive features of solar. What kind of things could solar accomplish in energy and, and, and beyond? I mean, my, my expectation is that in 20 years, 
the bulk of global energy will be supplied by solar. I think that would be a significant step for us as a planet in terms of climate control, clean energy. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think the combination of solar electricity and energy storage mm -hmm. uh, will be critical to that. But I see the pervasiveness of solar being unstoppable. It has everything going for it now. The, the cost is already there. Uh, installations are only going to increase and we can't continue to pump carbon into the atmosphere like we've done. We need to replace as much as we can with solar mm -hmm. and we need to reforest the planet and bring CO2 back down into manageable levels. Thank you for your time. Ah, you're welcome. You're listening to Science Town. Population grows, the, the, the world moves on, and uh, the energy demand is um, actually two, three orders of magnitude faster than the population growth or what you need, you know. So as we're growing as a population, we're not only adding consumers, but we're becoming bigger consumers. Exactly, exactly. And everything requires energy in the form of electricity. I'm speaking with Daria Baran. She's an assistant professor of material science in the Kaus Solar Center and co-founder of IRIS. I feel as though I've been hearing, I'm 40, I feel like I've been hearing about solar energy for my entire life yeah. in some fashion or another. And so at times I end up asking, where is it? I agree it's been going on for a long time um, because of different materials as well, basically, like, like you mentioned. First, it started with uh, silicon, and we call a lot of, like, this is dominating the market currently, and it's obviously a commercial technology. You can buy a silicon panel and put it on your roof or even, I don't know, take it to the beach and power up something. And it's all over the world. There are different type of uh, materials that are commercial as well, you can buy. It's used in space industry, for example, you know, that um, people are still looking for better materials. I think my imagination about this comes from that picture that I saw somewhere on the internet. It was on the internet, so it must be true. And it's basically <laughs> that they took you know, a patch of the Maghreb, like a, a section of land in Chad or somewhere. And they're like, if we covered this whole thing, this oh, yeah. as we could power the world. Yeah. I wonder how true that actually is. That is, that is true. Technically, it's true. If you can cover that area and um, manage to find the solar technology that will get all the light possible from Chad or even uh, they did in Sahara Desert, there was a huge project going on. That was enough to have the energy consumption of Europe or different parts of the world as well. Um, but there were other problems, for example, how to transfer uh, that energy, right? Or the electricity, I mean. Uh, and in, in that respect, GCC, let's say, not only Saudi Arabia, GCC area countries are very high potential 
but there are also technical challenges in that respect because they're also very hot environments so a solar cell or a photovoltaic device that they put in the panels um, roof on the roof actually they don't like heat they oh. just want the light uh, so the, the whole technology wants to get the light and what's the I mean if you have the optimal temperature what's the optimal temperature for a panel as opposed to how hot it gets here um Oh, you, how hot? Oh, it would get to 80, 90 degrees, I think. It okay. would get really hot. Okay. I, if not more, I would say. So depends you can fry an egg on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's not its optimal... No, definitely uh, not. The lower, the better. If you put that solar cell in a Finland, <laughs> actually, they say, oh, there's no sunlight. No, you just need the light. <laughs> so it's much better than actually putting it into the middle of the desert. Um, so then comes along your solution yes talk a little bit about the startup that you have and then what that solution is yeah now now you said that it actually combines and adds up to the to the existing technology let's say because we are using completely different materials than the existing commercially ones so these aren't silicon no okay so you might know the silicon ones came because of the uh, Bell Labs discovery of silicon yeah. for a completely different reason and it's as well. Cheap yeah, too, it's I think, cheap, right? yeah. but it became cheap because the silicon chip technology made a demand, right? And they they looked for sources more, and obviously it got cheaper. And it's what it was applied some other places, and it got cheaper. Uh, it's not only in solar cells now, silicon semiconductors everywhere. We were working on new materials and what we did was um, a combination with this new material we found actually a transparent photovoltaic module and what I mean with this is uh, unlike that silicon panel when you when you look at it you see the other side right, right? so that's why we say like uh, solar windows for example that means you can use them on land and the plants can still get sunlight, right? So basically for agriculture, greenhouses. So to get, if you want to have a oasis in the middle of desert, right. <laughs> you can use this technology to still grow plants, which is not really possible currently. And the other aspect is obviously using for big commercial buildings where a lot of glass is used for actually energy efficiency. Uh, on the other hand, like a lot of heat coming with that as well. So our technology also blocks the heat that enters. So you can, you can have both electricity generation and the heat blocking impact if it, if it makes sense that that's incredibly it's, it's exciting it's like, it's, it's yeah. <laughs> like a huge so, new thing but. well and, and so as a as a layman i think the first question is great so do i buy one of these and stick it to the inside <laughs> of the window and i'm good like how does it exactly. how does that work nowadays we're all very impatient with every technology <laughs> right <laughs> i love this people people don't want to hear your yeah. whole story it's like can you pitch it in one minute that's <laughs> right like, of course i no you cannot unfortunately <laughs> but we are developing this technology. So it's integrated into the window, if yeah. I have it right. Yes, that's true. That can be as a film, uh, 
within that double glazed windows or triple glazed whatever or retrofitted to the existing windows and use some electrical connections to to generate the electricity what is this called um you mean our product or the company the, the, the company oh wait yeah. our company is called iris so did you imagine uh that the you know the process was going to become here work as a faculty member and, and start up a company? Was that was that in the cards? Very good question. Not at all. <laughs> Not at all, but that's the fun part, I think. Uh, I've been working with this technology since 10 years, right? And we couldn't even think that it could be used like this or for, for such purpose because the materials were not available, basically, right? And uh, yeah, when I came here, I was like, I was sure that I will do great research and uh, contribute to the whole region. But to make a viable technology out of that was um, the cherry on the top or (laughs) the best part of it. It's a great experience and uh, it's amazing. You had the chance to speak at the World Economic Forum recently in Delhi in China. That's Um, true. What was that experience like? Wow. I've been to startup competitions or um, young investigators or pitch and so on and so forth. But this was a completely new experience. It was amazing to see all the technologies that economically will shape the future of uh, humanity, let's say, or our planet, were there as a concept, if it makes sense. You know, they were talking about um, smart cars, as I said, wearable electronics, robotics for surgery. Not only solar energy was just part of it, right? And we were there as a chaos team, which was really um, good with the other colleagues. But um, even, for example, data security, it was incredible. It was for me an eye-opening time. Also thinking how our technology could be used together with the other emerging ones. You know what I mean? Because I never thought that maybe um, our electricity generating concept could be used for electrical cars or driverless cars or whatever, or smart homes or stuff like that, you know? And yeah, it it was beautiful. Thank you for talking to us. Thank you for your time. In Saudi Arabia, 95% of drinking water is from desalination, yet it's both highly energy intensive and ecologically damaging. Can you explain the challenges that the current process presents? Let me start by saying that uh, uh, the kingdom has severe uh, fresh water scarcity. And as you just said, 95% of the drinking water is from seawater by uh, uh, seawater desalination. That's Peng Wang, professor of environmental science in the Water Desalination and Reuse Center at KAUST, speaking with Ben Stevens. So desalination uh, processes is not cheap. It consumes a lot of uh, electricity. One prediction even says that um, by 2050, uh, the current oil production rate 
in the kingdom might not be enough for uh, domestic consumption. Wow. Therefore, um, we uh, we need new technology that can tap into sustainable energy and to give us uh, fresh water. Mm-hmm. This is energy part. From the environmental uh, damage point of view, the current uh, desalination technology is not perfect because it only produces 50% of the fresh water for us. Now the other 50% is highly concentrated brine. Mm-hmm. Brine at this point is directly discharged back to the sea, which of course is not ideal. No. So the ideal solution is always zero liquid discharge. That means you have to recycle 100% of the wastewater. So uh, this is the downside of current technology. With abundant supplies of sunlight, you'd think that Saudi Arabia and the Middle East would be ideally suited for solar energy generation. But standard photovoltaic panels have an efficiency problem. Why is this and, and how can it be overcome? I believe the kingdom is one of the best places for solar energy utilization. But uh, unfortunately, at this point, the solar energy utilization, especially solar electricity generation in the kingdom, is less than 0.1%. Mm-hmm. This is a very, very low number. Mm-hmm. Therefore, I believe that the kingdom has great potential uh, to catch up on solar energy. Uh, by my calculation, if 2.5% to 5% of the land uh, of the kingdom is covered by PV panels, we can have the energy that can power the entire world. PV, uh, that is true, is the most popular solar energy utilization ways uh, at this point. Now, PV has a problem, as you just mentioned, it has very low uh, solar electricity conversion efficiency. Mm. We say the current commercial products uh, have efficiency between 10 uh, to 20%. The thing is this. PV is able to harvest more than 95% of the incoming solar light, but it just cannot convert all of the light or solar energy it harvests into usable electricity. Mm-hmm. So efficiency 10 to 20%, it means that we have 80 to 90% of the energy uh, not being able to be uh, uh, utilized properly by the PV panel. Right. So instead, the PV panel dumps a huge amount of energy as waste heat. Now, for us, because we have been working on thermal processes for uh, desalination for clean water production, uh, immediately when we see this, we realize this can be a very useful resource for us to, uh, to work on seawater desalination. And moving on to that, you have a prototype device that not only generates electricity, but also uses, like you say, the waste heat energy to distill and purify seawater. Can you explain how it works exactly? So since we know that we have 
huge amount of waste heat coming from uh, those PV panels. We devise a multi-stage membrane destination unit which can be very easily uh, retrofitted on the backside of commercial PV panel. Now, the novelty of our design is that we can utilize the water condensation latent heat from yep. one stage and utilize that heat to drive water evaporation of the next stage. This way, we can use the same amount of energy for multiple time to produce uh, clean water for us. And you've had considerable global media interest in your device, and you've been interviewed by everyone from Forbes to the BBC. So what needs to happen next to scale up this technology? At this point, the device we produce is only 10 centimeter uh, by 10 centimeter. Mm -hmm. Our target is always to go to the full size of commercial PV panel, which is typically one meter uh, by 1.6 meter. And you can see we have a long way to go. So for us to scale up those devices to the commercial size, there are some big uh, technical challenges for us to solve. And of course, in this process, we also need to work on uh, the stability of the system. And uh, uh, we also need to reduce the production costs. So the target for us is to, once we scale it up, we want those uh, devices or technology, if you will, can be competitive in the market mm -hmm. to produce uh, drinking water from uh, various sources. Here, one thing I want to mention or add is that it works with seawater desalination. It can also work with many other type of water uh, resources with impaired quality. Like if you talk about contaminated groundwater, uh, this technology works well. If you have um, contaminated, let's say, lake water, sea water, this technology should work as well. Excellent. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Science Town. Brought to you by KAUST. I do synthesis. So in the solar center, our lab is um, mainly dedicated for synthesis, either small uh, semiconductors or polymers. That's KAUST doctoral student Maryam Al-Sufiani speaking with my co-host, Ben Stevens. So uh, I synthesize polymers for use in uh, organic electronic devices like transistors. Mm -hmm. But what's beautiful about what I'm doing is that I can just test the potential of my polymer in other applications like solar cells, bio applications. So it's not only, I'm not only sticking to one application. So um, I can screen all the other potential of my uh, materials using all the facilities uh, in the solar center. So this is what I do. I synthesize. First, I design based on the criteria that we want in our materials. Then I synthesize them all the way from the monomers until I make the polymer. And then I send my materials to the guys who can uh, test uh, and we'll see the potential application of my uh, materials.
So what originally led you into solar research? Was it the solar side of things or, or, or was it the interest in synthesis? So actually the interesting synthesis. So uh, I, I love organic synthesis. I love the orga- all the organic classes I had. And I'm sticking until now to the all organic professors. Uh, they they gave me classes. What I did in my master's is the, just the opposite of what I want to do is inorganic chemistry. So mm-hmm. I made sure for my PhD that I want to do organic synthesis. And what I, why do I choose uh, Ian McCulloch is that I know he's doing the lab all these conjugated polymers. You can just tune and play with the structures and try to synthesize them. If you do, if you did synthesize this stuff, it's amazing. Because every time we make new materials that we think they are, uh, they have the potential to have good um, solar properties or any organic electronic properties. So this is what made me to come to the solar center first. And then after I joined the solar center, although I didn't do any uh, solar cell application, but this is what I like about the solar center. So when I joined, I realized that every research group in the solar center, they don't live in their own lab bubble. Mm-hmm. We all live in a center yeah. bubble. And this is, of course, coming from the collaboration between the all the students and the postdoc between the research groups. And of course, this is coming from a high level of uh, communication. So I this is fit with my character. I like to communicate. It's a very simple and essential um, scientific skill. It's just communication. So uh, I find myself uh, quickly engaged, talking and discussing my polymers with other groups in the solar center. And they told me that how my polymers are could be could have the potential to apply not only on organic electronic devices or transistors, and also in some hydrogen evolution uh, applications and CO2 reduction, all this stuff. So uh, I came so, I became so excited. So to design more materials towards these all applications. And of course, I couldn't think of the potential applications of my materials if I didn't communicate with the Solar um, Center uh, members, from not only from my group, also from other uh, research groups in the Solar Center. That's great. Okay. Thank you so much Thank for your you time. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you to all of the scientists who took time out to speak with us for this episode. Science Town is produced by Mark Bowes, Alex Aries, and Ryan Yang Yang. I'm Nicholas DeMille with co-host Ben Stevens. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a production of King Abdullah University of Science and Technology also known as KAUST. You can find us on all major social channels, wherever you get your podcasts, and at sciencetown.kaust.edu.sa.